What's up, everybody? Welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato. Today, we have a fact or fiction episode, but before we get into that, as I'm recording this, I just got back from Destin, Florida not too long ago, and my wonderful co-host, that's not the truth at all because she's never on the camera, but you hear her voice in the background. Uh, Jana was just mentioning my wonderful Velcro uh, patch that I got from Grunt Style, which I had never heard of the store. Apparently, it's very big online also, which is probably where your dad knew about them and got all their stuff because I don't think they have any stores around here, far as I know. But at any rate, I'm not here to talk about Grunt Style, although I strongly suggest their stuff. Um, had a good time in Destin. Got to relax a little bit. The first three days, like the ocean was like lake water. It was calm, like no waves, blue as could be, super clear, super beautiful. And then the last two days, it was, it didn't rain all that much, but it was pretty overcast and it did rain a, enough. Um, but the waves were crazy. Like surfers were out in the water. That's how big some of the waves were. They weren't like 10 feet tall, but they were probably six or seven feet tall, which if any of you have ever been to Destin, Florida, like a big wave in Destin is like a foot or so. Like they were big waves. It was pretty cool. I mean, I was like, it was pretty cool. It was loud because we were like right on the beach, literally. And so like we kept our big doors open, like the doors went all the way out to the side. It was pretty loud, but it was cool. I'd never seen waves that big. So did you go in? I did not go in. I didn't really go in whenever it was calm to be totally honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of ocean water. Like it's fine. Like I can, I'll, I'll deal with it, but well, (laughs) true, but yeah, I'm not a big, I no, I don't want to say that. Like, the sand and stuff outside of like, outside of like the physical benefits, which I talked about on my Instagram story. I'm not, I mean, I can have the sand or not have the sand, the, the, the beach in general, you know, it's cool, but yeah, I mean, I exactly, I'd rather be in the mount at the top of a mountain, seeing all the blue skies than like you said, at the beach, but at any rate, it was super, super relaxing. Got to, got to see some cool waves and uh, get a cool patch. So super excited about that. Uh, fact or fiction is our episode today. Fact or fiction is when we talk about a, we talk about a line or we talk about a description of something and we decide if it is a fact or a fiction. We talk about a statement and we talk about if that statement is a fact or fiction. The statement that we're going to talk about today is, it's normal to take prescription medication. That's the statement that we're going to decide today if it is a fact or a fiction. Now, intuitively, many people would say that it is normal for us to take prescription medications because so many people are on prescription medications. And yet, has that always been the case? Now, of course, I think all of us know, if we actually think about it, like, no, that has not always been the case. But I think a lot of us justify that it is normal because of the 
change in westernized medicine and how they've developed so much to help us in so many different ways and how so many things have been made to prolong life and to extend you know our lifespans but we don't think about how much those things actually are effective and how much they actually impact and extend our lifespan the reason that we're talking about prescription medications today specifically is because a study I came across had a very interesting title, which grabbed my attention and therefore prompted me to put this episode together. The title of the study is Life Course Patterns of Prescription Drug Use in the United States. So in the study, they wanted to answer the question, how many years can Americans expect to spend on meds? That was literally the question that they were answering. I think they put it a little more scientific-y. But the question was, how many years can Americans expect to spend on prescription medication? The question alone that they were answering, and if you read the study, that's not the presumption that they have, that they're portraying, but the question alone makes an assumption that Americans should expect to be on prescription medication. Hence the word, how long should Americans expect to be on prescription medications? And that leads to a very slippery slope. In many episodes, we have talked about how culture impacts our own personal development and our own health and how culture views health and aging specifically impacts our own health in aging. Culture right now assumes that you're going to be on prescription medications at some point in your life. And so if you don't challenge the assumption, if you don't challenge the question, or, or if you don't question the assumption, then you eventually probably will fall into that category and therefore will follow along with what culture says and believes. So that slippery slope is very dangerous, not only for the culture, but also for the individual. So in order for us to know if, before we actually get to the statistics, some of the statistics that they found for prescription medications, which were pretty profound, um, in order for us to know if it's normal to take prescription medications, we have to define what normal is because you don't know what normal is until you define what normal is. So literally the definition of normal, normal is functioning or occurring in a natural way. Now, of course, you can find all kinds of definitions. This is just one of the definitions, but the definition of normal is functioning or occurring in a natural way, in a natural way. So is it natural for people, Americans or otherwise, to take prescription medications? Well, again, if you think about the history of the human race, for the vast majority of the human race, prescription medications have not been a thing, have not been available, have not been even thought of. So it is not a natural way of living. It is not a natural thing. So it is not normal for people 
to be on prescription medications. It is, however, usual for people to be on prescription medications. And I make this distinction for a very, because I make this distinction for a very important reason. A very important reason. Because normal means nature, me, nature intends for it to be that way. That's what normal means. Nature wants it to be that way. Nature, if, if, we, if it was left to its own devices, that's the way that it would be. But that is not the case with prescription medications. It is only the case because we have made prescription medications and therefore we take them. And so it is usual for us to see people on prescription medications and usually more than one prescription medication. And as we'll see for a huge proportion of society, um, more than five prescription medications. Usual means it's, it's commonly experienced. Like you see it usually. And that is the case with prescription medications. You see it usually, you hear it usually. When you go to the doctor, if you're over the age of probably 40, probably every time you go to the doctor, the word medication or drug or something comes out of your doctor's mouth in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's not to actually prescribe a drug, but maybe it's to talk about prescribing a drug next time. Oh, next time, if your blood pressure is a little higher, we'll put you on this. Next time, if your cholesterol is a little higher, we'll put you on that. So, like, we hear it normally. And because we hear it normally, especially from healthcare providers, we think that it is normal. But it is important to understand that it is not normal. It is only usual. That is a very important distinction. It seems like I'm being nitpicky. But details are very, very important. Very important. It is not normal. It is only usual. So to get back to some of the statistics that this life course patterns of prescription drug use in the United States study found. Again, the question that they're asking is how many years can Americans expect to spend on prescription medications in the future was the question, question that they were answering. Um, currently, what they found was, and this was actually statistics from 2016, maybe 2017. Currently, what they found is 50% of Americans are on prescription medications, at least one. 80% of people over the age of 65 are on a medication, a prescription med. And 42% of people over the age of 65 are on five or more prescription medications. Let me say those stats again. 50% of Americans are on medication. 80% of people over the age of 65 are on medication. 42% of people over the age of 65 are on five or more medications. Those are, those are astounding numbers. They found that, and this, these numbers were found by some formula that I cannot describe to you at all because I'm not a scientist. And uh, although I was good at math, I think I got like a 29 on the ACT in math. I cannot, I could not do that today. Um, so statistics was not one of my strong points. So they put a bunch of numbers into an algorithm. They did some equations. They figured some things out. And here's the numbers they came up with. 
for people, for kids born in 2019, they, they assume that girls will be on prescription medications for 47.54 years of their life and boys will be on medication for 36.84 years of their life. So for women, for girls, more than half of their life will be spent on medication for men, for boys, more, about half, a little less than half of their life will be spent on medication for kids born in 2019. So medications are not bad. I guess I should have probably started with that statement in the beginning of all this, but here we are halfway through, maybe a third of the way through. Medications are not bad. Nothing really is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Medications serve a purpose. Yes, 100% serve a purpose. The question is, how did we get to the point where 50% of Americans are on medications and 80% of people over the age of 65 are on medication and 40% of those people are on five or more medication? That's the question. Because up until about 70 or 80 years ago, that was not the case because prescription medications weren't a thing before 70 or 80 years ago. So let's take a brief, very brief history into where this all kind of came from and where it all started and how it has developed into the monster that it is today. So when the people, the researchers who did this study asked the question, why, why is it usual to take medications in the first place? They, here's the snippet that they put together. And this is kind of what we're going to dive into. So the snippet literally is population aging. Um, I'm sorry, to answer the question, why is it usual to take medications in the first place? The snippet from the study is population aging and rising burdens of chronic disease Medicalization, which is when aspects of normal life become viewed as medical conditions to be treated by drugs. The ascendance of drugs to first-line treatment for an increasing array of medical conditions. The development of new drugs or new uses for exist existing drugs. And other institutional factors relating to the healthcare and pharmaceutical industries. Okay, that was a mouthful. So let's kind of pulled that apart for a second. First, the first thing that they say is one of the reasons why medication use has increased so much is from population aging and rising burdens of chronic disease. So chronic disease is the development of disease through behavior, essentially, behavior and environmental factors and to a degree aging. Aging does certainly cause the deterioration of the body, not at all to the extent that our society currently believes, not even a little bit. My dad just turned 80 last week. Yeah, seven days ago, as of this recording, just turned 80 years old, and he was in the gym yesterday doing one of our hardest classes with a group of people on average under the age of 40. And he was keeping up with them. So that's not to say that like you're not gonna you're not gonna have any impact 
at all, and you're not potentially like he's on blood pressure medicine at 80 years old. That's the only medication that he's on. But it's not to the extent that we believe that it is. Most of us think that at 60 years old, we should not be able to move and function. Not the case. Not the case at all. Not even a little bit. Chronic disease, on the other hand, is a very different story. Chronic disease has been on the rise for, again, the last 70 or 80 years. Ever since kind of World War II got over and the advent of the low-fat diet kind of thrusts a bunch of ultra-processed foods upon us, then our chronic disease issues started to skyrocket. Chronic disease are things like obesity, diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, other things like that that develop over time due to behaviors or environmental factors or aging. These things can be managed and have been, and that's where 90% of prescription medication revenue comes from, are managed by prescription medications. But they are developed through lifestyle and behavioral factors. So the management of them and the reversal of them are two very different things. Prescription medications are meant to manage them. They are not meant to reverse or fix them. That those are two very different ideas, ideas and two very different paths that you go on in order to make that happen. So that's the first factor that they talk about. Population aging and the rising burden of chronic disease. We'll get into that a little more here in a second. Second, medicalization. That is when aspects of a normal life become viewed as medical conditions to be treated by drugs and other therapies. One example that they have of this in the study is stress and anxiety. Stress and anxiety is a very normal thing in life. A hundred thousand years ago, things were stressful because they were getting chased by lions, tigers, and bears. Today, things are stressful, not because we are chased by lions and tigers and bears. We are chased by imaginary lion, lions and tigers and bears. Most of our stress is due to our mental development of how we perceive life to be. And this isn't underplaying anybody's, by, by no means is this underplaying depression or chronic, like, intense stress at all. That's important to say. But the vast majority of people don't fit into that category. Depression and, again, very intense stress. The vast majority of people, people fit into a category of stress and anxiety because of the perceived lions and tigers and bears that they have in their life. That is one example of a, quote, normal uh, aspect of normal life that is viewed as a medical condition that can then be treated by a prescription drug, an SSRI, Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. The next thing that they talk about is the ascendance of drugs to first-line treatment for an increasing array of medical conditions, for, to first-line treatment, meaning the first thing that they do to treat the issue is drugs. It's not behavior change. It's not anything. It's not trying to exercise. It's not 
nutritional change. It's not lifestyle change. First line treatment means first thing they do is throw in some drugs. That's very different, again, than things 100 years ago. 100 years ago, that wasn't the case because, of course, drugs weren't available. Drugs weren't available 100 years ago. But since they are available now and since they are quick and easy, that's the first thing that we do. Exercise is hard. Changing nutrition is hard. Sleeping better is hard. Managing and changing your mindset about stress, it's hard. That's all hard. It's all challenging. Throwing a prescription drug onto something is not hard. It's easy. And that's why it's a first-line treat, first-line treatment now. And then the last thing they talk about is other institutional factors relating to the healthcare and pharmaceutical industries. That is a conversation that we will have in another day because we're just going to go ahead and set that aside because that could open up a big can of worms. But let's just say that Yes, the healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry are in cahoots to make sure that they both make lots of money. Now, let's go back to the first sentence of that paragraph. Population aging and rising burdens of chronic disease. Excuse me. So, up until about 1930, early 1930, late, teen, late 1930s, the thing that impacted population health the most was infectious disease. That's what had the biggest impact on population health. That impact is called disability-adjusted life years. Disability-adjusted life years. So infectious disease had the biggest impact on disability-adjusted life years on the population up until about 1930-1940. Infectious disease, things like tuberculosis, pneumonia, influenza. Those things killed lots of people, lots of people, and still do in certain parts of the world up until about 1930-1940. Around that time, it just so happens that a guy with the last name Fleming, I think is his, was his name. That's terrible that I can't remember. <clears throat> anyway, um, the antibiotic penicillin was created. Not created, but he literally just stumbled upon it. And that pretty much fixed that issue for the most part. People dying and having severe health conditions from infectious disease. The other thing that changed that were, was hygiene practices in healthcare. What, and this is something that people cannot even fathom these days, but I don't remember when this practice was changed, but it, it wasn't hundreds of years ago. It was 70 or 80 years ago, which is not a very long time. May not even be that long. Um, doctors would go from like birthing a baby to birthing the next baby without washing their hands. So let's just say that the hospitals weren't exactly like the clean places that they are today. So that caused a lot of people to also die and so on. And a lot of young kids, it, sadly, a lot, it was a lot of young kids, a lot of babies, a lot of kids under the age of like 12 or 13 when their immune system isn't fully developed. Like that's who got the brunt of this infectious disease issue. Like that's who died a lot. And that's a big reason why life expectancy was so, so much 
smaller back then, not a ton smaller, but it's because kids died. So literally it was around 1930 or 1940. I forget when penicillin was developed, like in 1942 or 43, something to that extent. Um, also around that time, World War II was coming to an end. And as World War II was coming to an end, we started to enter into a different age, an age of prosperity. That's when baby boomers were being born. That's when uh, factories were then, they didn't have to develop ammo. They were, you know, we could develop more food and we could develop more things and we could develop more stuff and we could start processing more stuff and so on and so forth. So we started consuming a lot more after about 1945. We started consuming a lot more both in buying more things and both in consuming more and more diverse types of foods. Also around the same time, ironically, the shift in the people who talked about disease and aging went from the people living disease and aging, meaning like aging people, they're the ones that used to be the experts in aging in the 1920s and 1930s. In the 1940s, that shift to the healthcare industry and the medical establishment. Suddenly, the medical establishment became the experts in aging because science kind of took over and science knows more than experience. So they started talking about aging as a disease instead of aging just as a process. And it was during that time, once penicillin was created, that then pharmaceutical companies started to recognize that they could develop things that could fix or manage issues. Up until 1940, penicillin, you took for a, a month, I don't know, four to six weeks, a very short amount of time in order to dampen down an infectious disease so that you wouldn't die from it. And then that was it. That was all. You, you took it for a very short amount of time. Once we shifted in this, into this age of prosperity over the next couple of decades and chronic, chronic disease became the biggest factor in our, uh, that's terrible, it's right in front of me. There it is. Disability adjusted life years. In other words, how much it affects society's health as a whole. Chronic disease became the most prevalent impactor on disability adjusted life years after 1940, 1950. Then pharmaceutical companies could develop things to start managing chronic diseases. And that is a cash cow because a chronic disease, if you don't make the changes necessary in order to overturn them, is lifelong. And if you can make a medicine, a prescription medicine, that someone has to be on the rest of their life, it's a good way to make some cash. That's a big reason why the pharmaceutical industry is, I, I don't, it's, $800 billion industry, $900 billion industry or something like that, something dumb. Anyway, considering it was not an industry at all, like essentially 80 years ago, that's pretty crazy. So over the course of that time frame, 1930s to 1940s when penicillin was created, and then World War II was over and the age of prosperity and the age of abundance and the age of consumerism and the age of 
chronic disease. That's when pharmaceutical jump companies jumped on this bandwagon and started developing these medications to keep people on, to keep people on. They cannot have you be healthy because they wouldn't make any money. It is the truth. If you are healthy, they cannot make money. They have to keep you on medications. If you look at the list of top 10 drugs in, uh, that are sold today, the top 10 drugs, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but generally speaking, of those top 10 drugs, first of all, all of them are to manage chronic disease. Second of all, like four of them are for hypertension, two or three of them are for cholesterol. So like all of those things can be managed by lifestyle factors. They can be managed by lifestyle factors. But since there is no money in making that happen, the pharmaceutical company cannot, does not want that to be your first line of defense. The pharmaceutical company wants the first line of defense to be a prescription medication. So to go back to the very beginning of all of this and answer the question, is it normal to take prescription medications? Is that a factor of fiction? It is a fiction. It is not normal. We already defined that number one, normal is nature's way. So then can we answer the question, is it usual? Yeah, it is usual, but it is not normal. It is not nature's way. And it is not something that we have to do. It is something that the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical industry want us to do. And I don't say that only <laughs> as a person who is biased. Yes, I am. Yes, I am biased to that belief. I fully will admit that. And at the same time, I recognize that there definitely are people with familial hypertension, for instance, with other hereditary diseases that need to be on those medications. Like I said, they're not bad. They serve a purpose. It's the wrong question, though. Is there other, is there, are there other things that you can do in order to make a change so that you don't have to be on medications? That's the question that we don't answer. I think we ask the question, but we don't answer it. We just think about it. We try a few things, but we don't actually stick to a thing because we are, we have been, as a society, uh, taught to believe that, not believe, but taught for instant gratification, for impulse, for quick. And a medication is quick. I can give it to you and it will lower your blood pressure. It will manage your cholesterol. I can give it to you and it'll do the thing. And so since we don't have patience, here we are. Nonetheless, like I said, medications serve their purpose to have a definitely a place in our world where they can be helpful and keep a lot of people alive. The question is, what can you do to make sure that that, that doesn't have to be you? It's probably 10% or less of people that have to be on medications because of a hereditary issue. 
the other 90% lifestyle. You have control over your health. You have control over your cholesterol. You have control over your blood pressure. You have control over your diabetes. You have control over your weight. You do. You have to start believing it and not believing the people who are talking to you and telling you you don't have control. Take this medication instead. Take it for the time being, but figure out how to make the changes necessary to take control of your life. Make sure that you also hit subscribe. And until next time, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.